What a win for the Indiana Pacers. A huge start, an impressive finish. Everything needed to get it done against Giannis and the Bucks. They survive a 54-point explosion from the former MVP. We'll talk about how they did it. Ben Mather and Tyrese Halberton's big games all on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the six and three Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, yes, we are talking about the Pacers. Congrats to you on making it through the week. And now we got to break down the Pacers' best win of the season. They toppled the Bucks on Thursday on NBA TV, 126-124, misleading-ish score because the Bucks hit a buzzer beater. That did not matter to the result at all. So really, 126-121 feels more reflective of what really just happened. What a game by the Pacers. Had they get it done against their best opponent of the season? Beating Giannis for the Pacers is no small feat. That's the second time they've done it since 2018. Dame playing or not, Giannis is tough for them. Had they do it, who stepped up to get it done? Tyrese Halbert and Benedict Matherin's big nights under the microscope and a little bit of transactional rumory at the end of this episode. Uh, it's weird to talk about this game because I'm not sure if I should start at the end, at the beginning. Chronologically, it's kind of weird because this game flowed so weirdly. So I think chronologically it makes the most sense because that's how the game went. But my gosh, was this an impressive win by the Pacers. Just to rattle off some numbers, I would make me think the Pacers did not win this game if you told me beforehand. The Bucks attempted 26 free throws and made 23. Giannis was 16 of 18 from the foul line. That generally suggests this game would be slower paced, but the Pacers still found a way to win. The Bucks won the rebounding battle. The Bucks did not turn it over very much. Giannis, of course, had 54 points in this game. Malik Beasley hit half his threes. Chris Middleton resurged a little bit from his slow start. But the Pacers said, you know what? If the Bucks are going to play that well, we're just going to play better. <laughs> we're just going to score like crazy and play better. Miles Turner, 21, efficiently. Benedict Mather in 26 efficiently. Tyrese Halbert in 29 efficiently. Everybody for the Pacers who played, except for three guys, shot at least 50% in this game. One was Bruce Brown. He was three for nine. He also had nine rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and a block, and was a plus 15. One was Buddy Heald, who has a second off game in a row. He was a little beat up about it at his locker after the game. And one was Daniel Tice. Yes, Daniel Tice played in this game. That's a big part of the story of the game. We'll talk about it. He only could play for eight minutes because... It's a fast-paced thing, and the Pacers are, were in foul trouble, and it, he was catching up to the speed of the game. Even he provided minutes that they needed. They did not lose. They tied the Bucks in his eight and a half minutes, which ended up being kind of crucial. He scored for the first time this season. Everybody else who played for the Pacers shot 50% from the field or better. They were magnificent on offense, finding the shots they wanted. On only 27 assists, too, so it made their offense special in this game. They could create their own good looks against this Bucks team that has Giannis, that has Middleton, that has Brooke Lopez. That is a tough feat. That is really, really impressive to do. Halliburton was cutting them up. Malik Beasley was on him a few times. That was a disaster. Ben Mather was cutting him up with his typical off-the-dribble game. He also hit his threes once again, three for seven from deep in this game. Turner was finding his space again. Obi Toppin couldn't play very much because of foul trouble, but hit two of his three shots. Everybody who played found success there. And on the defensive end, at first the Pacers 
tried a lot. They threw the bag at Giannis to try to stop him to win this game, right? They cycled through many guys. Obi started on him, and actually Giannis started kind of slow, but eventually he got going. That wasn't working. They tried Turner. That didn't work very well either. Turner with four fouls, Obi with four fouls. They tried Isaiah Jackson. That didn't work. He had three fouls in 10 minutes. They tried Aaron Neesmith. Eh, it kind of worked. Aaron Neesmith had five fouls in 16 and a half minutes. They tried Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice with a foul. Jalen Smith was hurt. He would have been a good option. They had no answers for Giannis, despite who they put on him, despite changing schemes to start trapping. He was still breaking it down and figuring it out. So in the fourth quarter, they went with the other plan of, you know what, Giannis might get his a little bit, and they're still going to pressure him. It's not like they gave up and let him do his thing, but they're going to slow down everybody else. And that plan was quite the success. All the rest of the Bucs starters had off nights. Middleton had an okay game. One for seven for Brooke Lopez. Four for ten for Malik Beasley. Three for nine for Campaign. Right? They did a good job on all those guys, and they forced some crucial turnovers at key times. That's how the Pacers have to beat the Bucs. They cannot stop Giannis enough to win. They had to outscore them, and they had to stop everybody else, and they did it. They stuck to their game plan and did it perfectly. It was exactly what the Pacers needed to win this game. And the fact that they have the talent and a game plan to win this game shows what this team is right now. That was my big takeaway post game talking about or talking to these players is like I, I was curious if they feel how well that it looks like they're playing. Right. This is the identity the Pacers wanted to have this season. They're going to defend enough. They're going to defend just enough and they're going to score like crazy to win. And boy, could they, right? Halberton really believed that this team could be this good. And Matherin believed that this team could be this good. And th on this night, they proved that they absolutely can be, right? They can get the shots they want. They can get enough stops to get into transition. They can play fast, even off of makes against a good team. And they were on it. They played that style. They played very well to cap off an awesome week. Seven days, the Pacers played five games at home. And they went four and one. And they were one possession or one technical foul or one something from the Hornets away from much, much better. So that was just kind of statistically talking about this game. Chronologically, it was very fascinating, right? The Pacers jumped all over the Bucks early, which ended up being very important to this win. The Pacers were up, I, I think, 18 at time, uh, as much as 18 in the first quarter. And that one ended up being very, very important because I would say from the middle of the first quarter to the middle of the fourth quarter, so probably about 40 minutes of play. The Bucks were better, right? And if you look at a game chart of the Pacers' lead, they go from up 18 to then up like 12 at the end of the quarter to like up seven in the middle to up five at halftime. So the Bucks take the lead in the third. Pacers get it back, but then the Bucks are up four after three, and the Bucks get up 10. The Bucks were up 10 points in the fourth quarter of this game. So if they had the Pacers not started up 18, had that been a wash? first six minutes of the game. The Pacers would have been down by 28 in the fourth. Insurmountable, right? So that start for them was vital. The Pacers getting out to a big lead was exactly what they needed to win this game. And some of that was that was the only quarter they could kind of contain Giannis. This sounds like not containing him. He had eight points, right? That would be a 32-point game. When you have 54 on the night, that means you had 46 in the other three quarters. So that was their best quarter, slowing him down and kind of slowing down the Bucks in general. And they were awesome on offense, right? Everybody looked good early for the Pacers. They had 11 first quarter assists. They hit half their threes and they took 16 of them. They did a good job on the glass. They only turned it over three times. That was like perfect Pacers basketball to me in the first quarter against a good team too. They were self-creating a lot of their threes too, which was important against the Bucs. The Bucs 
like to play drop coverage with Brooke Lopez. They have a good defensive scheme. They're a good defensive team with their size. It hasn't really actually panned out this year, but their talent is good on the defensive end. The Bays are going to have to find a way to, to find crevices in their defense. Well, how about just, hey, we can we can go fast and score over the top and break through your very few crevices to find points. And so they did. They had 38 points after the first quarter. And this game really turned in the second quarter when the Bucks said, okay, what we're doing isn't working. We're going to press three quarters court and then we're going to drop back into zone. And against the Pacers, zone sounds scary because the Pacers can shoot pretty well. They got up a bunch in this game. But it worked very well for the Bucks in this game. It got the Pacers out of their rhythm. Only 28 points for the Pacers in the second quarter. They only made four twos in that entire quarter. They never turned it over. They just couldn't make shots. And then the Bucks were running. Giannis had 18 in the second. And I'm not going to lie. The Pacers were ahead at halftime in this game. But I turned to somebody next to me a meter row and I said, I don't think they're going to win this, right? Because the style of the game was not one that they typically win. And the third quarter continued that same style. Giannis with 18 in the second, like I said. In the third, he also was fantastic. 20, 6 for 7 from the field, 8 for 9 from the foul line. No matter what coverage Pacers threw at him, they were in trouble. They were trying all sorts of lineups and players, and they couldn't figure it out. That's what made this win so impressive to me. Beyond that it was the best talent the Pacers have beaten this season, it's that they overcame a struggle that they never have before. When Giannis plays like that, the Pacers just have not beaten the Bucs. For years, for a half decade, that has been their problem. They cannot beat this guy when he's playing like this. And today they did. In the fourth quarter, they limited, air quotes, Giannis to eight again like they did in the first quarter. They found there were enough ways to get going inside the arc. Nine for 11 on twos in that final frame. They grabbed their offensive rebounds. They were flinging the ball around. It was an awesome show of poise. It was an awesome show of resiliency. And it was a fantastic performance from the Pacers, who are now 6-3 and three and 3rd in the East. Only the Celtics and Sixers have a better record in the Eastern Conference than the Indiana Pacers right now, who blew two of their three losses at home. They could have a better record if they had closed those two games. Alas, if ifs and whatever the phrase is, if ifs and buts were candies and whatever, Let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton and Ben Matherin, who both had fantastic games to guide the Pacers to victory in this one. Matherin's second consecutive awesome game, and I will make an argument to contradict something I said yesterday about Matherin in the second segment. And then in the third segment, we'll get a little transactional here on Locked on Pacers. Before we talk Matherin and before we talk Halliburton, we are going to talk about Jace Medical. We talk a lot here, you and I. On this podcast, we get fired up on wins like this one and losses like last week who starts who sits i'm thankful for that connection i like talking about the pacers and basketball with you guys today we're going to talk about something else you can get a one-year supply of ed medications from jace medical you realize what that means bring on extended travel bring on the next natural disaster or supply chain issue you are covered you don't have to worry about whether or not you can refill your generics for cialis viagra or vascio prescriptions and this is possible because of our friends at jace medical go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on daily medication remember to use the promo code lockdown at checkout for a discount as well a verified customer said this about jace i'm thankful for this service supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half to have it i ordered most of my daily meds with a year supply i also ordered an antibiotic kit i feel secure now Prices are lower than local pharmacies. I highly recommend this for everyone. If you or someone you love would get some peace of mind by having a year supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com. See if it's offered for you. Remember to use the promo code LOCKDOWN for $20 off your purchase at jacemedical.com. 
Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Lockdown Bucks. They have new hosts, and they are killing it. The Bucks are fun and interesting and new, but they did not have Dame in this game. How are they feeling about Giannis having 54 and the Bucks walking out with zero wins for it? Check out Lockdown Bucks for the latest from Milwaukee here in Pacerland. Pacers rolling good. Great week. They had three home games this week. They won all of them. They will feel very good about that, depending on what day you think the week starts. I'm a first day of the week, a Sunday guy. None of you care about that. Let's keep it rolling. Big game for the Pacers and a big game for Ben Mather. And I'm going to eat crow, and I'm only going to eat crow for a day. And I couldn't have known this would happen. Yesterday, I said that I agreed with Rick Carlisle when I said that the Pacers win over the Utah Jazz was Ben Matherin's best career game. I no longer think the Pacers win over the Jazz was Ben Matherin's best career game. I now think Ben Matherin's best career game was the Pacers win over the Bucks the following day. Talk about a timing with Matherin. On a Tuesday show with Muiz, we talked about his early season struggles, air quotes, because I did not really consider them struggles. I thought he was doing exactly what the Pacers wanted, and he was eventually going to figure it out. Well, boy, did he. Great on Wednesday, even better tonight. Matherin was fantastic. Fantastic in this game. He had a stop on Giannis, and you could tell the the emotion of what he's been working on and what he's been trying to get better at and the stuff he wants to be good at was all on display. He wanted the Giannis matchup when he could get it. He got it late. We'll talk more about that in a second. He got a big stop with about 30 seconds left, and he was absolutely amped. Mid-game, he is just screaming, fist-bumping, yes, on the court, as he should have been. He was awesome in that moment. Matherin, against teams like this that are good switching principles and have good perimeter defenders. So the fact that he can break these defenses down is so valuable to the Pacers. And the big step he's taken, right? His passing wasn't as often as it was in, in the Jazz game, but he doesn't turn it. He had not turning it over as much this season. He still had his two assists. And the fact that he can get to the rim, get up six free throws, and be this level of player more in the flow of the offense than last year is so important for the Pacers. That's a really tough player to guard, and so for the whole game, he was just a guy that the Bucks constantly had to worry about and figure out who they were going to put on him, right? 16 first-half points for Ben Matherin. He was their best scorer in the first half. All of his threes came in the first half. He was just putting a ton of pressure on the Bucks, and the Pacers' starting five did really well, especially early, because Matherin was such a threat, and they didn't have the right guys to put on him, right? Somebody on Milwaukee, sometimes two guys, we're going to be in a poor matchup because they can only put Giannis and Middleton on two guys. That means Beasley and Payne are going to be on someone between Matherin and Halbert and Bruce Brown they could try to hide somebody on. So Matherin just took advantage of that. And he found his spots and he made them. And he made his threes again for the second game in a row. He's really, really had a fantastic week. But the thing that made this Ben Matherin's best ever game were the final minutes when he locked up, and that is not an exaggeration, Giannis, on some key possessions late. I don't remember exactly when it started that Matherin became the guy who was guarding Giannis. They tried a lot of iterations of guys on Giannis, and some guys had good possessions and some guys had bad ones, but they they needed it late, right? Pacers are down one. Let me try to find a perfect time to start talking about this. They were down four with four minutes and 12 seconds to go. They were down four with three minutes and 21 seconds to go. But Giannis's last bucket, last actual points he scored in this game, came with 5.18 to go when he put the Bucks up by nine. From that point on, he missed a free throw. He missed a pull-up jumper with 4.35 to go. He missed a long seven-foot little layup with 3.52 to go. Um, sorry, he assisted campaign with the 1.41 to go to get the Bucks back ahead. 
He threw a bad pass out of bounds with a minute to go. He got the turnover with 30 seconds left that Mather was amped about. And then he fouled right after, right? And then he didn't take the last shots for them. Chris Middleton took both of those. He got finally good defense put on him. And it wasn't all Matherin late. There were other guys on him. They were doing a lot to slow him down. But Matherin had some key defensive moments where he was up in his grill, forcing him to go certain directions or trying to to get him away from his spots. And, of course, the pivotal steal late in the game. I don't know if he'll get, he got credited um, for that steal or if he just – yes, he did get credited for the steal. That's correct. Um, because he was awesome. He was all over him. Uh, Bruce Brown got credited for the other one. But they did a great job, and Matherin was the key part of this, of finally like really getting into him, being really as physical as possible, and keeping him out of the middle of the paint in really deep position. Ton of credit to Ben Matherin for that. He was awesome on defense late in the game. And he knows it. He was amped for a reason. He hit the free throws late too. Game was 121-122. Ben Matherin hits the line with eight seconds left and hits them both. That is huge. That was absolutely massive for the Pacers. He also had a big layup to tie the game with 2.30 to go. He was clutch on both ends. Ben Matherin played the most complete game he's ever played. And that was huge. He was the number two guy in this one. Although Miles Turner, you could say, had some moments as the number two guy. Miles Turner played a pretty good game as well. Spreading out Brooke Lopez is pretty important against this Bucks team. Miles Turner hitting four threes. Extremely significant. Miles Turner, nice passing as well. Four assists above his standard. He had 21 points and was a plus 14 and out-rebounded Brooke Lopez by five rebounds. And that is all to say that two guys step up alongside Halliburton, who is just his unique level of brilliance. The Bucks could put strong defenders on him. They could put their length out there. That was their identity for forever. They're just huge. There's arms everywhere. The passing lanes are a little tighter. And Matherin still, or Matherin, excuse me, Halberton still had 29, 10, and 6. Ho-hum. It's easy for him these days. He got some help from Bruce Brown in the passing department. Bruce Brown did a nice job keeping the ball moving and keeping the offense flowing in this game. But it's just, it's just Halberton's game. Like, he's in clutch moments. He's just so good. Fourth quarter, Tyrese Halberton, four for five from the field, two for three from deep, 10 points, three rebounds, one assist, plus nine in the fourth quarter. Absolutely massive for the Pacers. His big moments in this game, 17 of his 29 points were in the first and fourth quarters. So the key, the big start that got the Pacers ahead and the big close that allowed them to erase a 10-point deficit in just a few minutes, all spearheaded by Halberton's incredible play. So he's been almost this entire season, except for when they haven't really needed him to be. I would say the Bulls game is the only game where you didn't really feel Halliburton at any point. He still had a nice game, but he's just been so good this season. And now he's 50-40-90 on the year. So he's having that kind of efficiency with this level of passing, with this level of scoring. He is approaching like almost unguardable levels that what it takes to actually slow him down and actually disrupt what he's doing, leave someone else so open and the Pacers have been getting so much from their depth. And I'll give Tyrese Halberton a lot of credit, right? After the game, I was I was asking him about the team's level right now and how well they're playing. He said, we're playing really well right now. And then he said, everybody's contributing. Maybe the best bench in the NBA. And that's a big part of what he's been doing well is getting everybody involved. And I asked Rick about this lineup last week, I believe. I can't remember exactly when it was. I asked Rick Carlisle about this, though. This lineup that keeps working for them is they'll turn to... Four bench players, the four bench guys, right? Nemhard, Neesmith, Heald, and whatever their big is. In this game, it was a couple guys. And Halliburton, because he just draws that attention to make those guys' lives easier. And that's been working great. That's a lot of the times when Neesmith gets going. It's a lot of times when Nemhard gets going. Nemhard, Andrew Nemhard had a very, very good game as well. 
Um, like if you look at just the bench guys plus minuses, the three who played together the most, healed Jackson Neesmith, those minutes did not go well. Nemhard played a little separate portion. His plus minus is almost 20 points better than the other guys, right? Nemhard had a very good game. Anyway, those Halliburton plus bench guys lineups were really fantastic. And that's been a good adjustment. They've been going with a different bench guy in that spot a lot, which has also been working. But I really enjoy the Halliburton plus bench guys on for what it allows them to do and what kind of rhythm it allows them to get. And Tyrese was just fantastic in this game. Took on all challengers, made the big shots, got the team into it. What a special win for the Pacers. I, I said yesterday, they got three tough ones coming up against the Bucks and the Sixers. Twice the Sixers. If they can survive those and look really good in those, that is going to show you a lot about this Pacers team. Well, their first test passed with flying colors, even though they didn't have answers for Giannis. Everybody tried for a long time. He could get whatever shot he wanted. He could get to the line. It looked like an insurmountable task. I was riding with a tone that was a losing tone in the fourth quarter for my game recap story. They overcame it. And that says a lot about the growth of this Pacers team, where they're at, where they could be headed. I mean, they are ready for anything. The game that Halliburton has played, they've been competitive in all of them. They have looked good in significant portions of all of them. They look like a team that is as good as they hoped they could be this season. We are only nine games in. A lot can change for this Pacers team. A lot can change around the league. They've been very healthy, knock on wood, but they have played so well. They've played exactly how and as well as they said that they could. And with just a little tick better defense, they could be a legit threat to me to be very good every single night. They have another big test coming up with their next two games in Philly Sunday and then in Philly again Tuesday for an in-season tournament game. And Bede, like Giannis, is someone who has historically just crushed the Pacers, right? And Giannis, to his credit, did crush the Pacers in this game, but they found a way to overcome it. They could counter it with offense. They could counter it with pace and they had enough answers for him late. If they can show that against Embiid in some way, whether that's Turner stepping up, whether that's some other defensive schemes being involved, whether that's just the offense rising to a level that Philly can't match, that will tell us a lot about the Pacers, where they're at and where they could be headed. And you know, we'll have coverage of that game here on the Locked On Pacers podcast come Monday, come Tuesday, and come Wednesday. A lot of Philly coming next week. We'll have a Sixers guest to talk all about it. Something else snuck in before yesterday's game that I want to talk about for a few minutes to close out today's show. Shams Charania reports in the wake of Mason Plumlee's injury in L.A. Clippers have interest in Daniel Tice. Very interesting, especially given that Tice played today, his season debut for the Pacers. We'll talk about Tice's debut, the Clippers' interest, what the heck's going on with that. And then we can move on to talking about actual basketball again. Come next week to close out today's show. That's all coming. But before we do that, we're talking about the great folks over at Prize Picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. It's just you versus numbers. Instead of battling against thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. With basketball season here, you can do pick combo projections across football and basketball from their specials league. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a combo of 10.5 three-pointers made Plus receptions. Prize picks is a blast. You can up to 25 times your money during basketball season. Just like two or more players, pick more or less, place your entry, kaboom. You can also play alongside prize picks' favorite players, like rapper Meek Millen, comedian Andrew Schultz. You can find their community plays, and boom, you can see what they're doing too. It's an absolute blast. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of players and stat types. You absolutely have to check it out. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use the code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Ooh, that's a lot. At prizepicks, prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA or use that code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-NBA 
First time deposit match up to $100 at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, check out Lockdown Clippers for the team we're about to talk about for a few seconds. Because descending upon us on Thursday, Shams Trania from The Athletic and Stadium reporting that Mason Plumley, first of all, is going to be out for quite a long time for the Clippers. Two months, to be exact, about with a knee injury at MCL, I believe. I could just scroll down and find the tweet where he said it. Uh, and in said tweet, I'll read it now. Sources, Clippers center Mason Plumley is expected to be sidelined as much as two months with MCL sprain a knee. And one veteran center LA is showing interest in as team evaluates external move or standing pat. Well, in the video of said tweet, Shams says that the center, the Clippers are potentially interested in, is Pacers center Daniel Tice. There we go. Tice, as of him recording that video and mentioned by Shams in the video, had had, past tense, not played for the Pacers this season. Well, first of all, he did play today against the Bucks. What it took for that to happen, Jalen Smith was having back soreness. We didn't find out until the game had started. The Pacers actually announced he was available, and then the soreness apparently meant he wasn't available or he couldn't go, so he couldn't play. Uh, so Isaiah Jackson was the backup five. But when you're playing Giannis, fouls are coming. Turner finished with four. Toppin finished with four. Jackson finished with three. Neesmith finished with five. They needed minutes. They needed big minutes on someone who could guard Giannis, and Giannis was killing them. They needed physicality on him. So they turned to Tice. But let me be clear. They did not turn to Tice as the five. They turned to Tice to guard Giannis and be a guy who could potentially soak up fouls. Tice played with Miles Turner for quite a bit of time. He played with Isaiah Jackson for a stretch as well. So they, he did also play some center, but he was out there in some funky lineups just given the challenges of what the Bucks are throwing at him. That's where Tice has some versatility. He's not useless on the perimeter. He took a three. It had some high arc. It didn't go in. Whatever. He was one for four, like forced up a shot or two, but made the nice dunk. He was fine, right? They they were even in his minutes. His physicality on defense is nice. His screen setting is good. All the stuff Daniel Tice does. He's not made shots, including the preseason as well. doesn't really matter how he played. He did debut, and they needed him to. Yeah, it was pretty funny. There was some cheers from the crowd when he came in for the first time. Anyway, Clippers interest, though. The relevant part here is contracts, right? This is tricky. Tice makes a little over $9 million right now. Clippers very far over aprons. They're an expensive team, currently with like 190-something million in guaranteed salaries. So that's where this gets a little tricky to kind of all put together, right? Because a one-to-one -one trade is what the Clippers probably want in their situation financially. But that's hard to do. There are guys who make in the range where they could just do a one-to-one -one trade with the Pacers are Terrence Mann, who's worth more, a lot more than Daniel Tice. That's never happening in a million years. Avicja Zubac, who's their starting center, which defeats the purpose of trading for a backup center. And P.J. Tucker, who they just got in the Harden trade, and they could only trade one for one. P.J. Tucker, there can be no other players attached to him for a while. P.J. Tucker, they would maybe do, but why would the Pacers want P.J. Tucker and his money for next season on their team? They have fours that they like. I mean, maybe they want the vet presence, but I don't know why they would consider taking on more money next year. They are potentially going to be an over-the-cap team. It doesn't matter. Maybe that's the answer, but it seems like it's hard to find a one-to-one trade. So then you either have to find Tice plus something else on the Pacers for like Norman Powell or go the other direction and stack two salaries on the Clippers. But even then, Russell Westbrook can't be traded for a while. They just drafted Kobe Brown as a first-round pick. He probably has more value than Tice. Bowens Highland, same kind of deal. 
And Brandon Boston's on a, a tax MLE, basically minimum deal that doesn't really change a lot of what they can do from a salary perspective. You're limited to basically one trade. And it's Mason Plumley and Amir Coffee for Daniel Tice. But if you're the Pacers, you have to cut someone to do that trade because you'd be taking in two for one. All this to say, it's very hard to come up with a trade that actually makes sense unless it's the Pacers sending two guys out and getting like a decent asset in exchange for doing that for like Norm Powell, I guess. But that also doesn't make a ton of sense to me. He's got a lot of money for the next few years. He actually has the most guaranteed money left on his deal of any Clipper, right? So it's hard to come up with something financially that makes sense for all these parties. The only thing that makes sense to me is if the Clippers said, yes, we will give you a minimum for the rest of the season fully guaranteed would be a buyout from the Pacers to free him up and then Tice could go to LA, which he would do potentially, I guess, if you thought he could play there and he could make up the money. But the Pacers then lose a lot of trade flexibility. Tice's contract is very tradable. He's on a team option for next season at $9 million. They can use that in deals in bigger trades. They could use that in some other minor thing down the line. What? So that's why Sean's phrasing in his video is very interesting to me because he said the Pacers are not in a rush to make a move. Well, that would be why. Because why rush and do it now when Tice could be involved in something when you have more information about your team closer to February? So unless the Clippers somehow are willing to give up Way more than it seems like would be the case. It seems like this is a hard deal to kind of come up with unless it's much bigger than just Tice's involvement. That's why I think it's a little tricky to kind of see this happening at this time of the season, especially because the Clippers just made a move involving a lot of salaries that could have potentially been relevant. So the only way I see this happening is uh, a totally weird trade where the Pacers actually give up a couple guys, which doesn't seem likely at all given their early season. A third team coming in, which also wouldn't make sense because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of imbalance of value issues. It just seems like there's an imbalance of salary issues. Um, Or time. Time could change things. Closer to February, options for Tice become more available or the Pacers' direction becomes more clear. Maybe then it happens. Had to include that. Big news-ish from Clipperland. We'll see if that actually leads to anything or if my prediction that a buyout is the most likely path ends up being the case. That game was fun. That reporting is very interesting. It's only November 10th. I'm surprised we're already getting transactions, but the Clippers already made a trade midseason. So here we are at this time. Thank you all a ton for listening today. This was a fun week of Pacers coverage. They played very well. They're playing very well, and I think they're going to continue to play very well. And you know we'll cover it all here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East. This show is on Twitter at Locked on Pacers. Back Monday, talking Pacers Sixers round one. Tuesday, talking more Sixers with somebody who's at those games, looking ahead at their second matchup. Wednesday, talking more about it. And then Thursday, Friday, some gaps between games. We can do some more big picture stuff. Looking forward to all that. Thank you all so much for listening today. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you soon.